Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. All right, let's um, let's set this episode up. First of all, our guest is renowned New York Times bestselling author Daniel Pink coming back for a second episode to chat about his new book, When. Now, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know we, we talk about psychology a lot, human behavior, things that improve your day because ultimately can improve somebody else's day, especially if you're a clinician listening, that would be your patients. And science and research is critical to this. And unfortunately, it's often very dry and not very user-friendly or mass populace-friendly. That's why we love books like Dan's and, and authors like Dan, because he makes it relevant, makes it easy to consume and really easy to live by. So this new book, we were really excited to read, but we were even more excited to talk to Dan about what he found and really some some background on the research and his process. And I think what you'll find is, again, it's going to be very relevant to you and other people that you spend the day with and ultimately comes down to what is optimal within a day. How can you set up breaks to maximize your day? And, and really, what is a break? What is an optimal break? Is it just lounging on a chair or is it something else? And spoiler alert, it's something else. Now, let's get into it with Daniel Pink. Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Shirak abroad here. Um, if you know, we talk about a variety of topics, healthcare to business, and there, there's a saying that always rings true that we don't really point out a ton. It gets kind of, it gets assumed a lot. And that's, that's timing is everything. It's, it's an adage that's been around forever. And I feel like it doesn't get talked about until something happens. It becomes a reactive conversation of, oh, wow, they, they were successful or this happened. And <coughs> therefore, because the, t- the timing, it was, it was all about the timing. But what, what is the timing? And there's, there's, can we apply some, some signs to it? What, what can we actually know about it? And there is science on it. Um, and we're going to delve into it about when is it a good time to do things? When is it a good time to start a business? When is a good time during the day to do exercise or a variety of things? And we're going to talk about that with an author that we spend time with before, and that's Daniel Pink. Dan, I, I can't wait to talk about this because you've, you've spent a little bit of time doing some research, haven't you? Oh, man. I've spent two years <laughs> doing research, Gene. Um, but, I mean, that, that's all right because it's, it's, it's really interesting and it confirms exactly what you were saying at the top of the, of the program, which is that uh, we believe that timing is an art. We make our timing decisions, our win decisions, typically in a haphazard way. But those two years of research have convinced me that timing is actually a science. 
There is a rich body of research across many, many fields uh, that allows us to begin at least to crack the code on good timing and to make systematically better evidence-based when decisions. And I love that you said that, evidence-based. And it, if you use evidence-based as a foundation, which we did, the first time we talked, we talked about selling, to sell a human, yeah. we talked about pitching, but all that is kind of in the moment. That That's when you already figured out the right moment to either start a business or grow a business. But we have to take a step back. We we have to get to that point. And the first, the first time I, I ever came across this was from a TED Talk by Bill Gross. And... Uh, it, oh, it, yeah. just, it, uh-huh. it really changed my mindset on things because I was along with most people where, we, where I thought the idea was the most important thing. But he pointed out it wasn't. It was the third most important thing behind idea, team, and timing. Is, did you find similar in your research? Yeah, that, that's a harder one to figure out. I mean, what Bill looked at was his portfolio of companies. And, uh, and, and I was really blown away by that, just as, as you were, Gene. Uh, that the timing mattered more than the idea itself. Uh, what, what I have found, um, and I think that's generally true, uh, what I have found is that just an enormous amount of research on a broad range of timing issues. As you say, what we do, dur- you know, when we do things during the day, so for instance, what, kind of time, what time of day should we do certain kinds of work? When should we be taking breaks? How do beginnings affect us? And so there's a lot of good research on the importance of a strong beginning and what happens when you get off to a shaky beginning. What happens at the midpoints of lives, of projects? Uh, how do endings affect our behavior? How do groups synchronize in time? And so, um, and, and so the, the research on when to start a business is, I don't think it's, in my view, it's not definitive. I didn't write a lot about it. But I think that what Bill found in his portfolio companies is absolutely compelling. Um, and there's also some other research showing that um, the first mover advantage, you know, which, who, who has the first, mover, the first mover advantage is not nearly uh, what it's cracked up to be. That uh, in many cases, uh, it's the second or third mover. And there's, an old, there's a corollary to the added, you know, you heard the adage, the early bird gets the worm. Uh, the corollary to that is that the second mouse gets the cheese. So I think that's generally true on starting. It's one businesses. of my favorite things. I love that the, uh, the second mouse gets the cheese, and that's that's absolutely true. Reminds yeah. me of Tom and Jerry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but as you're doing this research, I think that that's that's a great point. Uh, as you as you're doing research, um, and for anyone that's done research, I think one one of the coolest things about doing research, as long as you don't bias yourself like crazy, is being genuinely surprised. Because if you're not, there's a good likelihood that there is a strong bias in what you're doing. What are some of the things that jumped out at you as you were collecting all this data and doing the research over two years? Oh my God, so, so many things surprised me. One of them has to do with the importance of breaks. Um, I was some, uh, you know, I, I thought breaks were, were, you know, were nice. You know, it's not like I was anti-break, although I didn't take very many breaks. Uh, when I look at the, the research, I, my, I'm convinced that the science of breaks is where the science of sleep was 15 years ago. So 15 years ago, people would come in and brag about how they didn't get any sleep, how they pulled an all-nighter. And you know, some people looked at them as heroes. Now we look at them as fools, because the science of sleep tells us that's a ridiculous thing to do. Uh, I think that the science of breaks is at that spot, that the research on the importance of breaks, uh, even if they're brief, uh, breaks as a way to uh, enhance our mood as a way to uh, uh, improve our productivity is powerful. And so 
Uh, I'm a convert when it comes to brakes, and the science of brakes gives us some pretty good design principles about what sorts of brakes are the most effective. Do you think the human body or, or people have a pattern day-to-day of when they need brakes? Uh, yes and no. There is, I mean, in, uh, you know, one of the things that some of the, the research in a whole range of fields, uh, in, a, in a whole range of methodologies, from big data analysis of Twitter feeds to research done by people like Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel Prize winning, uh, the, the winner of the Nobel Prize thinking in economics, uh, the thinking fast and slow guy, to a whole range of other ways at cutting at this, show a fairly distinct pattern across a day. So that, you know, our, we generally move through the day, there are generally three stages to a day, a peak, a trough, and a recovery. Now, most of us move in that order, peak, trough, recovery. Uh, people who are strong night owls, which is about one-fifth of us, move in the opposite direction. They go recovery, trough, peak. And what this research shows is that during the peak period, which for most of us is the morning, not necessarily a specific window of time in the morning, you know, for some people it's earlier in the morning, for some people it's later in the morning, but what, what, what that shows is that that's when we're better off doing analytic tasks. Those are tasks that require heads down, vigilance, and focus. Um, you know, things like writing a legal brief or analyzing data or something like that. Uh, that's, that peak period is when we are most vigilant and better able to do that kind of work. During the trough, the early to mid-afternoon, that's not good for very much. We're better off doing our administrative kind of work then. Uh, you know, answering email or whatnot. And then later in the day, uh, we have something interesting happen. Our, our mood improves a little bit, uh, it's significantly actually from the trough, and, but we're actually less vigilant than earlier in the day. And the consequence of that, higher mood and less vigilance, is that it actually makes it a pretty good time for creative, uh, iterative kinds of work, uh, like brainstorming. And so that pattern is, is pretty clear. As for when people t- should take breaks, that's a little bit, you know, that's a little bit more idiosyncratic. I don't think there's definitive evidence saying, oh, you should take a break every 46 minutes or every 57 minutes or whatever. But um, what it shows is that almost all of us should be taking more breaks. More important, we should be taking better breaks. Um, there's certain kinds of breaks that are more restorative, more replenishing. So I've been, over the last couple of years, I've been um, on a mission personally to systemize my day a little bit. And it takes a lot of, takes a lot of self-awareness. Um, mindfulness is something that we yeah. focus on a lot in, in my company as well. Um, and I've been able to break my day down into what I call a CPR system, creative, productive, and recharge times. And I've been tracking it, and it sounds like it matches up very well to what you're saying throughout the day. And there's peaks and valleys and there's changes. If somebody wants to do this themselves, if they're trying to track it for themselves, have you found a way that best optimizes finding out when it's a good time to take a break? When it's a good time to take a break or when it's a good time to do certain kinds of work. Yeah, yeah, either one, either one. So so, so let me, let me, let me answer both. So on the first one, uh, one of the most, one of the things that you can do is the, the first step is really figuring out what is your chronotype, all right? That is a term of art from the field of chronobiology, chrono the study, you know, chrono time, biology study of life. Uh, it's this whole field of, of biology that looks at our biological rhythms. And we have, some people have late chronotypes, some people have early chronotypes, most of us are in the middle. And so you, there, you, you can, one can test that pretty quickly uh, by, uh, you know, really back of the envelope by doing the following, is figuring out what, uh, when, on days where you don't have to wake up to an alarm clock, 
what time of day, what time of night do you usually go to sleep? Then same thing on days you don't have to wake up to an alarm clock. When do you usually wake up? Uh, and then you figure out the midpoint of that. So for me, I will typically, um, I will typically go to sleep at um, on a on a what's called a free day at about midnight, and I will wake up at about eight. Okay, that's uh, uh, and so my midpoint of sleep is four a.m. So what the distribution shows is that if you're if your midpoint is 3.30 or earlier, you're, you're probably a lark, an early person. If your midpoint is 5.30 or later, you're probably an evening person. So for me, I'm you know, kind of in the middle, leaning a little bit toward lark, but not a strong lark. So that's the first thing. So, so what we know for, for larks is that the pattern is peak trough recovery. Um, then, then, then I think it's important, and I know that I should be doing my analytic work in the morning. I should be doing my administrative work in the early afternoon and my creative work in the late afternoon. And that's actually how I've configured a lot of my schedule. So, um, so I actually wrote this book when, the, the, uh, you know, in the morning. I, I would imagine I created 90% of the words in that book before noon. Um, I try to do my garbage early in the afternoon, you know, answering email and all that kind of nonsense. And then late in the afternoon, uh, when I'm working on a book, I like to do interviews. I like to, you know, in- interview people because I find that the conversations are a little bit more freewheeling a little bit looser in that case. So that's how I've configured, that, that's, I think that's how people can pattern their own days. Now, as for the breaks, there I actually think that you have to be, um, sort of do what you do, Gene, is, is actually be systematic about recording you know, what their day is like and, and when they're taking breaks. To me, the first step in doing that would be to, you know, each day write down two breaks you're gonna take in the after, especially in the afternoon. Uh, take, write down two breaks you're going to take and schedule it like you would anything else and see what that does to your mood, to your productivity, um, and see whether the time works for you, see whether the duration works for you, et cetera, et cetera. But as I was you know, saying earlier, we, we know a lot about what kinds of breaks are most effective. And, and what we know is that, and, and this is, I think, perhaps the most important lesson for your, for your listeners, is that something is better than nothing. Um, any kind of a break is good, is better than not taking any kind of break. Um, we know that, curiously, social is better than solo. So we know that um, breaks with other people are more restorative, even for introverts like me. We know that um, moving, you know, just getting up and moving around is better than being stationary. So, you know, taking a walk. We know, and this is remarkable to me, we know that nature is especially restorative. So, um, so being outside, being in nature, if, if, if at all possible, is helpful. Uh, and then we also know, and this is important, we know that, that fully detached is better than semi-detached, uh, that you want to actually have a break. So walking around with your nose and Instagram is not a great idea. So you know, at some level, the ideal break, but again, people have to figure out what's right for them, is take a 15-minute walk with someone you like um, outside, uh, without your phone, talking about something other than work. And the, that kind of very simple short break can be, and the bang for the buck on that is, is enormous. I think the, the, a big point of that is when most people think breaks, they think about lounging in a chair, kicking their feet up. I think it's right. a huge point to make, and this is incredibly well established by this point, that walking is one of the best things, if not the best thing you can do for your body. As an exercise, as restorative, as a break, all the above is just one of the best things. Amen. 
And then if you couple it with, um, you know, to the extent people can walk outside, if you look at this research on, on, on what nature does, simply seeing trees, seeing grass, being around that, you get even, you know, you, you attach a little rocket booster to that. And then if you do this, and then if you leave your phone behind, you attach another rocket booster because you're detached. And then if you do it with someone you like and it becomes a social break, it has a mood boosting effect. So, and, and, um, and, and I think that's a really good point, Gene, that, that I do think when we think of breaks, we think of lounging, as you say. We think of just, ah, oh, kicking back. And, um, the, and that's not what the research tells us are the, the most effective kinds of breaks. And that's the thing. It, it's research, Dan. I feel like we're living at a time where when we talk about <coughs> research, when we talk about science, there's still a disconnect between reality and a vacuum of scientists, the stigma, you know, <laughs> white coats. This is not real. Yeah. How, do you, how do you bridge yeah. that disconnect? You know, um, what I try to do, you know, you know, in this book and in a couple of previous books is be as clear and transparent as I possibly can to explain the science as clearly as I can to offer people, and you know, as you know, in my books, you know, against the advice of many people, I put, you know, and, and I'm not writing scientific journal articles. I am not myself a scientist. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer of popular non I hope it's popular, you know, popular non I think that's a safe bet. And, 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 but in my book, I have footnotes. So I'll have a sentence, and it'll have a little superscript number, 17. And then you can go in the back, or I guess endnotes, and you go in the back, and you can, there'll be a citation, you know, to the particular paper I'm referring to. So if you're skeptical... First of all, I try to explain it clearly. Second of all, I give you the site, and, and if you don't believe me, you can go check it out yourself. And so, you know, I think over time, the accumulation of that says, okay, maybe this is something I can, I can take seriously. By the same token, um, I try to point out where there are contradictions in the research. I also will not write about research that I think um, isn't well done. Uh, because of methodological problems, because of statistical problems, because of um, it's so woefully, you know, like they have a very small sample and they're finding something that no one else has ever found and it, this particular thing has never been replicated. That makes me obviously very, very skeptical. So I just try to have, you know, at some level, good intellectual hygiene about it all and, you know, and hope that that begins convincing a few people. Yeah, and, it, and relevancy, right? I mean, one of the big things, one of my yeah. huge takeaways from uh, To Sell as Human is your point about the information asymmetry. I mean, it's just, it's, it's completely shifted over the last decade or so, just how much content information we have as consumers. And when everything is science, 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 or research, 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 not all research is good, like you pointed out. Not all research is relevant, right. but I'd say... 99% of people don't know what good versus bad research is and what, what that is. No, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't necessarily, you know, and it's up to people who, you know, that, I, I sort of see that as my job as, as a little bit of a filter, um, you know, try to provide as much credit. And, and, that's, and that's why the transparency is so important. So, you know, I, um, I, you know I, I try to read it through and be honest about what's true and what's not true and present it in a clear way, but also put those footnotes and things in there so you can, you know, check for yourself. I love that. It, it takes time. It, it takes time to transition people. Oh my people. God, it takes it's time. It's behavioral, it's behavioral yeah. right? We're, we're, we're always in the yeah. business of behavioral change and behavioral sciences. And for, for an example, right. one of the biggest things that we deal with is, is low back pain. I mean, it's a huge burden on the health industry. It's a huge burden on people and people's lives. 
And a lot of times when we, we get people that have been suffering with back pain, five years, six years, 10 years, or a month, it doesn't matter. One of the first questions we ask them is, when is the last time you went for a walk? And mm. Because research shows that simply going for a walk, a 30-minute walk, yeah. several times a day, has a drastic reduction in low back pain. But that's, yep. that's not common. That, that is not an expected answer. One, because when you see a healthcare provider, you're expected in that moment, speaking of when, right there and then to have something. That's why we have opioid epidemics going on. That's why there's so much issues going on in that regard. But we have two things. We have something called regression to the mean, which means that most likely it will get better by itself with time. And two, let's go for a walk. But those aren't expected things. Right. And also, I mean, just to, you know, not to be disrespectful to healthcare providers and medical professionals, but, you know, going for a walk and, and saying it'll regress to the mean are not things that one can charge for. That, that is the absolute truth. I mean, it's not. Um, but what we know is if people are educated, if, if people are taught mm-hmm. and provided in a relevant way, a breakdown of what is going on through research, through relevance, it's in, in clinical terms, it's called the biopsychosocial model. So we, we have a pathoanatomical mm-hmm. model, which healthcare has been drenched in for a long time, meaning here's, you have a pain in your shoulder, therefore, that part of the shoulder is causing the pain. What well, we know now, it's your environment, your community, um, your brain, all these are involved with the process. Right, and exactly, exactly. It's not about a financial system. It's not about getting paid. It's about what is and what science tells us. But then it's explaining it relevantly to people. As, you, as you're doing research, as you're collecting all this science, how do you make it relevant to the everyday consumer? Well, I mean, I think what you have to do is you have to, it's a painstaking process. So first of all, you have to find it, you have to evaluate it, uh, and then you have to be able to explain it clearly. Um, and then, you know, then you have to pair it with other, and then you have to pair it with other research. But I think that the way to make it relevant to consumers is, I mean, initial step, as mundane as it sounds, is to say, okay, how would this, like, how would I do something different based on what I know? And so if you look at, you know, let's go back to the research on walks. Wow, taking a walk is powerful. Man, I should probably take more walks. Okay, that's a great takeaway right there. Um, and so that's, that, that's all that it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a matter of, I mean, it's interesting, you, it, it's interesting the way you put it because in some ways the process of research is somewhat similar to what you're describing, which is, it, you know, it, it requires uh, a long time, it requires dedication, it requires putting all the, putting all the pieces together. But once you understand it, the, what you should do about it isn't all, often isn't extremely complicated. Yeah, and it's, it's funny. The, again, another parallel to, to health is what research shows in terms of exercise. Obviously, exercise is one of the best things you can do for your body, for your mind. Yeah. But what we're starting to see, it's not the actual exercise that is really the important part. It's the process of the exercise, hmm. of going through it, of developing it, of creating the structure and the consistency hmm. that is just as beneficial as whatever you're doing. So it's, it's, it's really interesting mm-hmm. that you point that out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. As, as, you're, as you're collecting this, and you, you made the point of bringing it back to yourself, has your life changed? Has your date changed as you collected some of this research and wrote the book? Yeah, I mean, I was I was sort of leaning into that, leaning toward that schedule of peak trough recovery 
uh, just intuitively in, in how I was watching my own response. But once I looked at more of the research, I said, okay, I, I locked that down. So as I said, I wrote this book in the morning during my peak period. And the way that I configure my days writing this book is that I would go into my office, not super early, you know, maybe 8.30, and uh, I would set myself a word count, a quota, you know, 600 words, something like that, 700 words, um, you know, some days more, some days less. And I would not do anything else until I reached that quota. Um, no email, no phone, no nothing. Sometimes I hit it fairly quickly, other times maybe around noon, other times later, which were miserable days. And, um, and then I would do, as I said, I would organize, I, during the, the, the afternoon trough, I would uh, just deal with all of the administrative garbage that I have to do. And then uh, in the late afternoon, early evening, I would do two things. One, I would, I would do a lot of the interviews and more creative stuff. And then I would also exercise. That's when I, that's when I exercise. And I, I, I follow that pattern pretty carefully. One thing that I did do is I did start, absolutely start taking more breaks. Uh, I, I followed this regimen of in the afternoons, writing down, scheduling two breaks I was going to take and what I was going to do. And I, and I happened to take walk breaks. Uh, I, will, I, I work in the garage behind, a converted garage behind my house. So, you know, I live in, a, uh, uh, I live in an urban setting, but it's, it's somewhat, you know, you know convention. You know, it's, it's not super urban like Manhattan. But um, so what I will do is I will go out and, and, and take a walk around my neighborhood. Or what I will do, I mean, this, I, have a lead, I have a very exciting life, Gene. I will sometimes go uh, take a package to, uh, there's a post office and FedEx maybe about seven minutes from my house. And I will go, it's exciting, I know, and I will go walk and take a package to one of those places and drop it off and walk back, and that gives me a 15-minute walk. Just reminded me of that and scene I from uh, Old School with uh, Will Ferrell when he's talking about going Bad Bath & Beyond when they're at the party. Yeah. If you have time, uh, if you have time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and we, uh, you know, and what what I what's interesting is maybe not that interesting is that I I've become a firmer believer in the fully detachedness of it. So I will bring my phone with me, but I will not just I don't know why because I'm neurotic or something. <laughs> I'll bring my phone with me, but I won't I won't like look at my email or text or anything while I'm while I'm walking. I actually won't even listen to music or a podcast. I will just detach, take that walk, drop off the package walk back. I'll often do, my wife also works at home, so we'll have a, we're a very exciting couple where we will walk together to the post office as a little break and then walk back. I'd say that's healthy. I'll, I'll take healthy over yeah. excitement. Totally. I'm with you. That's very cool. So there's, um, everything that you're following is, is very well supported by research and science, which I, I find fascinating. And it's this combination, which is what I'm really excited, why I'm really excited to read your book, because it sounds to me like a combination of really good research uh, combined with relevant common sense um, execution of this research, which to me is still the biggest disconnect, is there, there's a lot of research that's out there, but there's not relevant examples of how to do it. So it sounds like there's a ton of that in the book. There's a huge amount of it. In fact, that's the entire logic of the book, Gene. What I tried to do, see, here's, and this is my thinking about it, to the extent anybody cares about the theory behind the construction of this book or even, you know, basically almost all of my books. Um, here's, here's my view. Uh, I like books about science, and I like books that provide insights into how the world works. Absolutely. I find that uh, many books, though, many big idea books, give you the big idea, argue for the big idea, and then just leave you there. And don't, they don't want to stoop to tell you, give you any suggestions on what you should do about it. I also, there are also out there many of these so-called self-help books, which tell you what to do, 
but don't tell you what it's based on. And so what I'm trying to do is do both. Books that have, um, that, are, that, are, that are big ideas, that help people understand the world, that are based on the evidence, but that also give people a tool, tip, suggestions on what they can do, and sort of marry those two kinds of approaches. And it's necessary. Like I, at this point, I go through about one book every one to two weeks. I mean, to me, to me, it's the best way to learn and process and grow. And if I can take 10% from a book, uh, totally. It's yeah, huge. that's a high number. Yeah, I it's think. huge. Yeah, it's gigantic. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't come around often. Obviously, I, I go by recommendations and reviews like any, anybody else. And uh, previous authors, obviously, if they come out with something. And uh, I mean, the last the last book that I read or listened to, and by the way, I started to listening to more books because of something you put out. I think you shared an article at some point that listening has the same uh, benefit as actually reading. So yeah. thanks for that. Yeah, no, I'm a big, I, I, I like audiobooks too. I don't do it during, uh, as I said, I, no, no joke, I don't do it during my breaks. I listen to audiobooks. I don't drive a huge amount because they don't, con- I don't commute um, because, you know, because I work like in my, basically in my backyard. Um, but, uh, when I travel, uh, I will listen to audiobooks while I'm waiting in line in airports, walking through airports, waiting in more lines in airports, waiting out flight delays in airports, that kind of, so I get a lot of audiobooks in. Nice. And, uh, yeah, which is awesome. I, I listen yeah, when I drive and it's not a huge drive for me. It's 20 minutes, but, um, any, anytime I have an opportunity to listen or read, I do. And it makes it easy to go through the day or when I'm doing at work or something. Um, but the last book that I, that, I read that had that kind of impact was originals by Adam Grant. And sure, I, I love book. that book because it, it takes this idea of a nonconformist and puts it into relevant practice, shows examples and breaks it down. And I, I feel like when you're dealing with opportune timing, you have to know your personality as well. Was there, was there any evolution to that as you're doing research? Did it matter who you were, personality traits, anything like that jump out? I don't think so. Um, you know, um, I mean, I think what it did more than anything, it, I, I guess I, I was pointing the, it's some level, I was pointing the, the cam, I think I pointed the camera in the other direction in a sense, and that I wasn't, it didn't reveal a huge amount about my internal self, my personality, but it did um, help me understand the world better. And And one of the things, you know, the most important thing I discovered is, is how seriously we take, you know, what we do and how we do it and who we do it with and how unseriously we take questions of when we do stuff and how much that matters more than we think. Do you think the, the whole concept that Simon Sinek kind of uh, repopularized again about the, the whole why, why do you do something, do you think that that is overshadowed? Well, I think that's really important, sure. It is important, but it's always been important. I feel like Simon obviously brought it to light. It never really went away, I don't think so, but he just repopularized it again with his TED Talk and book. But it's it's always big, right? And now people are always like, "Well, wars." What's your? Well, I think that in some, I I think in some cases, you know, the the why was submerged and needs to be and needed to be brought to the surface. There's a lot of really good research on how powerful that is. Absolutely. Um, um, I actually think that, you know, you know, those 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 questions were sitting at the grown-up table, but when has been always been relegated to the kids' table, and and not taken as seriously. And, and what the research shows is that it matters hugely. It matters hugely to our health. It matters to our emotional, social emotional well-being. It matters significantly to our education system. It matters to our uh, system of justice. It matters on many, many dimensions. And, and we need to start taking it 
seriously because it matters. It matters a heck of a lot. It could be argued, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, is that the the when is one, if not the only consistent pattern we have as human beings. You know, we we know when sun sets. We know the different moon phases. We know the timing of things. We know as human beings that we can develop sure. a pattern based on times. We know that hey, if we have kids and sleep gets disrupted because they woke you up, that things will change. So, like when, when from from a scientific standpoint, like me coming from from a medical background, patterns are everything. Patterns and consistency, anything that you can prove, it's huge because it, there's so many things you can't. And, and the when seems like the, the timing of things would be the one thing that you would focus in on. Yeah, it's one of many. I mean, you know, they're all important. You know, what you do is important. How you do it is important. Um, who you do it with is important. Why you do it is important. All those are important. Um, but, you know, I, I find this in general, we don't take that when question as seriously. We think of it as a second order issue, a third order issue. And it shouldn't be. I, I don't want to say it's the. I don't want to say it's more important than those, but it's as important as those. And there are very few uh, uh, individuals, organizations, or institutions that treat these questions of timing with what I think is the proper seriousness. Again, not as more important as these other questions, but absolutely as important. Love it. So, if if you had to give one nugget of advice. To, to people that are listening about when, what would it be? Um, well, I mean, I, I mean, two of them we've already talked about. I mean, two, the first two things that come to mind we've already talked about. One is that you need to take questions of when is seriously taking these other questions. Two is to take more breaks. I guess the other one that I, um, um, uh, another one would be to be conscious of midpoints. Uh, midpoints have an effect on us. Uh, they can either bring us down or fire us up. And, they're usually invisible, whether it's a midpoint of a life, a midpoint of a project, a midpoint of a semester, a midpoint of anything. Um, there's research showing that sometimes they bring us down, other times they fire us up. And if you have anything that has you know, something close to a beginning or something close to an end, it inevitably has a midpoint. And being more conscious of the midpoint can make a world of difference. And to finish out with, did you see um, in, in your research that, let's say, for you example, you go to bed at 12, you wake up at 8, your midpoint is 4 a.m. Um, if something happens to disrupt that flow, does a break negate that disruption or breaks throughout the day? Great question. Um, I don't know. Uh, my hunch, seriously, my answer is I don't know, but my hunch, I'm always willing to speculate. Um, I'm always willing to speculate on things I don't know about if I disclaim, if I offer the disclaimer that <laughs> as long as there's I'm a... speculating. Yeah, as long as, I, as long as people know I'm speculating here. My hunch would be that it would not negate it. I, would, I think those disruptions are pretty powerful. But we know... It might, it might mitigate it, but it probably wouldn't negate it. Which is a huge distinction in itself. Yeah. Because you know? we know yeah. like naps help if you had a bad night's sleep, but there's no such thing yeah. as really catching up on sleep. It is what it is. It's, Correct. It happens exactly. and it moves on. Exactly. The next point. Awesome. Well, wh- where can when can our readers find the book, um, and where can they find you if they have any questions? Or well, they should be able to find the book again. It's called When: The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. Uh, they should be able to find it at any bookseller online or offline, and uh, you can also check me out on the web at danpink d a n p i n k. Dot com, danpink.com. Now, your other books had a bunch of stuff on your website, PDFs, different... We got all kinds of stuff. Oh, my God. We have so much stuff. Yeah. 
So there'll be um, there's some other there'll, there'll be uh, there are a few right now. There'll be more in the future. Other resources connected to this Wen book. Awesome. So check out. And there's there also there also are some online resources that the book itself points to. And something so, else we talked about you and I is that you actually narrate your own audiobooks. I do. So if you enjoyed Dan's voice on the podcast, which I mean, <laughs> why, why wouldn't you? Yeah, and if you don't enjoy his voice, just pick up the print edition. That way you don't have to hear exactly. him. Exactly. It's win-win. It's win-win. Yeah, uh, everybody wins. Exactly. Everybody wins. Love it. Um, Dan, thanks so much for taking the time, man. I can't wait to, to listen to the book, uh, read it, and then I'll post my review and thoughts on it after I get through it. Gene, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much.